Sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. Yeah. I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. You're the girl with the deaf family? Yeah. yeah. And you sing. Interesting. Something's got a hold on me here. What are you doing next year? Working with my family. Let me tell you now, I've got a feeling I feel so strange. Everything about me seems to have changed. I've been coaching for Berkeley College of Music. I can help you get a scholarship. Something to say? You will be required to have a hearing individual on board at all times. I can't stay with you for the rest of my life. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Coda, and the story is as follows. Ruby is the only hearing member of a deaf family. At 17, she works mornings before school to help her parents and brother keep their fishing business afloat. But in joining her high school's choir club, Ruby finds herself drawn to both her duet partner and her latest passion for singing. Her enthusiastic, tough love choir master hears something special and encourages Ruby to consider music school and a future beyond fishing, leaving her torn between obligation to family and pursuit of her dream. The film is starring Amelia Jones, Eugenio Derbez, Troy Kotzer, Farida Walsh-Pilo, Daniel Durant, and Marley Matlin. It is written and directed by Sion Hedder. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Zach Gilbert. Hello, hello. Emma Sasek. Hello, everyone. Will Mavity. Hi. And Lauren LaMagna. Hello, hello. All right, so we're talking about Coda today, the latest film from Apple TV Plus, currently streaming on there exclusively at the moment. This movie premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, where it made quite a splash as the opening night film. The response to this film was absolutely rapturous. Everybody was super, super excited for it. It was the very definition of a crowd pleaser, so much so that it was able to maintain that enthusiasm all the way until the end of the festival, where it picked up pretty much all of the festival's major prizes and also resulted in Apple purchasing it for the largest festival purchase in history for $25 million. Pretty incredible. So what do we think of it? What do we think of this one? Let's go around. Let's ask. Why don't we start off first with Nicole Ackman? 
Okay, so I was very excited to see this movie after all of the sort of hype I'd heard around it from people that I knew who'd seen it, and it definitely did not let me down. I know that I am someone who is very interested in movies that have characters who are deaf or hard of hearing, um, because I, uh, having a hearing impairment myself, and I have a prosthetic, uh, that is the the reason that I, I have mostly full hearing, but because of the fact that uh, I, I, you know, uh, had that possibility of being deaf in one ear whenever I was younger, it's something that's very interesting to me, uh, knowing that, you know, I could have easily been more of a part of that community. And this film is so interesting because in so many ways it is sort of your typical coming of age story about a girl trying to find sort of her place, having these pressures from her family, this dream that she wants to pursue. And yet it's also so much more than that because of some of these issues that it's dealing with. And I think that there's a lot to unpack in this movie and it's not perfect, but it is so heartwarming and so heartfelt and exactly the sort of film that I really wanted it to be. All righty. Next up, let's hear next from Will Mavity. Yeah, I, I found this to be an immensely charming movie. It's definitely very Sundancey in the classic sense of all that entails. And, you know, it's other than some much needed respectful representation to uh, far too infrequently respectfully showcase community it doesn't bring much new but it executes what it does well i thought the whole cast is extremely endearing and it's a very sweet film in many ways feels very slight and you just have a feeling that it's all going to work out well the whole time which i think maybe limits it emotionally because there's a certain degree of stress lacking from it but, you know, it, it earned its crowd pleaser status. I enjoyed watching it, and I think it's definitely uh, it's a big step for representation. So I'm definitely a fan. All righty. And now, Lauren LaMagna. So, yeah, this is one of those films that I was excited to see, and I wanted to see since Sundance happened, of course. And when I did watch it, like Will, I understood why it was such a crowd pleaser at Sundance. It does scream... Sundance crowd pleaser and for some reason I'm really gravitating towards coming of age stories now that I'm out of high school and college for some reason and while I really enjoyed the film I don't think it like upgrades the genre in any amazing way I think it's very warm and very loving addition to the subgenre but when I think of this film I do say that it's made with so much love that you can feel it you could feel it's not it's more than chemistry you could feel that this was made out of love and respect and you could feel that as an audience member and I think it's great in, in its simplicities and then it's also great in the fact that it's just warm and it's it hugs you and it's kind of comforting and especially in a really heavy time period that we're in. I think it's important to have lighter films, even though we're discussing important topic matters, that it is light in nature. And I think this did scratch that itch that I've been having in this heavy year around heavier films. So I think it's a wonderful, very fuzzy, warm film. Okay, nice. Doing pretty well over here so far with everybody. Emma Sasek, do you agree? 
Yes, I do agree. Um, I got to watch this movie at this year's Sundance Film Festival. Um, it was the opening night film. And yeah, ever since that first moment, everybody has just been praising and singing praises for this film. And I was definitely one of them. Um, I grew up, my dad, he had lost his hearing fairly early on. And so pretty much from when I was little, I can just remember him, you know, losing a huge part of himself because once you lose your hearing and with his disease, he has Meniere syndrome that um, has affected his balance. And he was constantly dealing with vertigo spells and the, on top of all of that, losing his hearing. And so I knew from my own experience that this was probably going to be a movie that was very emotional, just reliving the things that I've seen him go through. And definitely with what Ruby has to see her parents go through and just the there are just so many scenes in this film that I feel like do such a beautiful job of trying to portray what the deaf community and hard of hearing community has to go through on a day in and day out basis so those moments like that just hit me so hard I'm sure I'll talk more in depth about them later but right as I was re-watching this for the second time I just bawled my eyes out during certain moments and I feel like this movie just like you were saying Lauren it was just made with so much love and you could feel the love for this community and really wanting to tell this story right and I think they did a very beautiful job with it um yes there are some cliches I think or just you know simple writing or um simple storytelling, I should say. I think there's a bit of simple storytelling in this film. Um, but overall, I still really love it. I think it's a great film that definitely feels like a warm hug and it makes you happy at the end of the day. So I'm a fan. Okay. And now to take us home, are we going all positive? Zach? Of course we are, because I just fell head over heels for this movie. I... I'm a sucker for Sundance stuff, as like Will described this movie, and it, so it was right up my alley. Um, and coming-of-age films are really my weakness, too. So I've been really anticipating this ever since it won all the awards and it got all this acclaim out of Sundance, and it just didn't disappoint me in the slightest. I think I think the criticisms that, you know, it's kind of conventional or cliche, like Emma was saying, are fair, but I think the way it transcends, you know, those conventions is that all of these characters really defy the stock stereotypes that we see in like a coming of age movie like I never feel like it's just a stereotypical mom or stereotypical dad the writing and the acting really gives them new life and I feel like I really know these people by the end of the movie and even though you know you kind of see where things are going I think it's really just fascinating to watch them interact and whether it's hilarious or heartbreaking and it just hits every dramatic and emotional beat so well and I, even when I know it's going to come. And there's certain scenes I don't think I'll ever forget from this. So it's definitely a very warm movie. And it's going to be a new comfort film. I love it. Yeah. The phrase a comfort film definitely is something that comes to mind here. Maybe because the fact that they share uh, a star here and Verita Walsh-Pilow. It reminded me a lot of Sing Street in the way that the feels just kind of rushed over me watching this the first time. And I could not fight back. I was just like completely all my defenses were down. <laughs> this movie worked its magic over me in a way that 
sometimes I do get a little annoyed that maybe I'm being a little too open and vulnerable to allow it to work so easily over me. But in this particular case, I really do feel that, that there there is careful care and consideration being paid towards uh, Ruby's journey. And we really get to know not just her character, but the like lives of her family members as well. And I think you get really, really attached to pretty much everyone uh, in this ensemble, maybe with the exception of uh, Farida Walsh Pilo, <laughs> who, you know, is just kind of there to be the love interest. But otherwise, great supporting performances from everyone involved. Uh, there's also a really great uh, central message here in terms of pursuing your dreams and a real nice dilemma in terms of the burden that befalls upon Ruby to have to be the person to translate uh, for her family and how her family really depends upon her for their fishing business in a way that sadly prevents her from being able to pursue her own uh, dreams of singing, which she discovers that she uh, is actually quite great at. So there's a lot of really great elements at play here. I, I definitely do think it is obviously cliche, conventional, like all of these words, but this is like one of the rare times where it works and it can work. I think that like sometimes when we do talk about conventional cliched storytelling, especially in a heartwarming crowd pleasing sense, there seems to be like this cynical reaction from people that, oh no, this shouldn't be allowed to work. I think that that's untrue. I think that when it's done well, it should be allowed to work. And I think it is okay to let yourself enjoy it. Yes, and yeah. I agree with that, too. Um, even though it may have some points, parts where you're like, okay, I know how this is going to go. Or yeah. I know that things are going to work out really well in the end. It's still just a really beautiful story that's told really well. And also from a perspective and a group of people that we don't get to see or, you know, we don't get to see their stories that often. And it's still important to share their story, those stories. I mean, the one, two punch of both sound of metal and this coming out in back to back years, I think has done oh, yeah. a lot of really good things for uh, the deaf community uh, within film. And hopefully this will lead to other opportunities. I know that there have been some, criticisms that have been talked about online in terms of the portrayal of uh, deaf characters in this movie. But I think also we have to remember the type of movie that this is, the type of audience that it is targeting itself uh, for. And as a result of which, if it gets people talking and it has this mass distribution on streaming from Apple, then I, I would say that these like that these baby steps that we're taking, although some people may not feel that it's enough or it's ideal, a win is still a win in terms of will it mean that more stories like this get greenlit, more actors get cast in other roles that sometimes don't even uh, have to be like the story doesn't have to necessarily be about a deaf character or anything like that. They can just simply be a part of an ensemble about a story that has nothing to do with that. I mean, that 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 would be great. <laughs> I think it's a major win too that the deaf characters in this film are played by actors who are deaf. Right. Uh, yeah. What a what a concept. <laughs> which was Literally, something obviously you know uh, Marley Maitland had to make sure happen, and I think that it's great that she sort of uh, is now back, sort of 
taking on this sort of role and having that sort of power to to make sure that that occurs. And I also think that in watching it a second time, it sort of did stand out to me that I think often in film, when you do see a character who is deaf, uh, it's sort of the same thing with the character who is blind. They're portrayed typically as pretty passive. Mm -hmm. And I think that whatever else you can say about this whole family, they're not passive people. Even where they do have, you know, issues in their day-to-day lives and they do sometimes rely on Ruby to help them, uh, they're definitely not passive characters at all. So I think it's really nice to sort of see it going against those sort of more stereotypical performance or uh, roles that we sometimes see. Yeah, like even comparing it kind of to Children of a Lesser God, which Marley <laughs> yep. won her Oscar for it. Like it's, it's a, she's fantastic in that movie, but it that type of, you know, deaf character, it just feels so old hat, like we're beyond that and that's not okay anymore. And here they have so much life, you know, they joke, they laugh, they have, they're like all, so full of personality. And it's just something I feel like we've never been able to see, and especially the fact that they're also played by deaf actors, like you said. I just think all of that representation and all the conversations is starting, it's incredible. And they're very, very horny that they cannot keep their hands off of each other, which I think is one of the funniest things of this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's such a relatable thing to do, right, in terms of, yeah. how, like, how do you make this family you know, very relatable outside of the fact that they're deaf, we're not, or a lot of us are not in this case. Um, I I feel like introducing that kind of an element into the story is something that all of us can point to and, you know, instantly identify with, and it allows for us to... <laughs> that they're having lots of sex? Does that mean... <laughs> yeah, and that's embarrassing to a teenager. Like, who wants to, who wants to know that your parents are having sex? I don't want to know that. <laughs> Like, it's nasty, but I love for the fact, like... I mean, it's a great gag, right? That they're super loud in the house, and... (laughs) I can't hear them singing. Yeah. Or, like, how about when he rolls up to the school to pick her up, and he's blasting the hip-hop music? (laughs) Yeah. Like, Marley's reaction, she's just, like, smiling and waving, and you hear this, like, big, booming rap song behind her. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I would not be embarrassed by these two as my parents at all. I w- oh, God, no. <laughs> no. They seem like the most incredibly fun people ever. Okay, <laughs> I want to see now. But at like 17, I think I would have been. <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're like 17 and all you want is to blend in. Um, I would have been like, yeah, turn the music down. <laughs> <laughs> but who doesn't love to feel the vibrations from rap music? Answer me that. <laughs> I mean, I can feel it sometimes from my apartment, uh, just from the street down below. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so in the, in that regard, I, I do feel that the movie does a great job of not only with Ruby's family, but also too, and I don't know if this was any different than the cut I saw at Sundance, or maybe it was just because I I, I knew going into it a second time what to expect. Uh, Eugenio Derbez as uh, her choir master here, uh, Mr. V, because uh, I can't roll my R's, so I apologize. <laughs> I really genuinely love the way that his character is presented. And I was hesitant the first time I watched it because I thought that it was a little too overdone and almost felt like it was in a different movie at times. But this time around, I was really kind of drawn to how sensitive he was towards her her passion and her talent that he wanted to be able to help nurture that. But he also took it incredibly seriously as well. 
Yeah, I did. Uh, one of the only issues I had with the movie was that I, I guess like in a lot of structures, you have what they call the big gloom where um, everything goes wrong. Yes. And this film kind of brushes past that really quickly. It sets up a lot of issues. You know, she's she's gotten in trouble with him. Her dad loses his fishing license. And then all that's kind of resolved in about five minutes. And um, they don't really just like on her team again, which obviously, you know, it says a lot about him as a person, but we don't really see them reconcile their issues he's mad at her and then he's not and it's like nothing happened that's where i think the conventional storytelling aspects that we were talking about before that's where i think that that comes into play maybe more so than anything it's like to your point you introduce all these conflicts but then the movie doesn't want to take the time to explore them and really like solve them in a, in a nuanced way. It just wants to kind of give us the easy answer. Yeah. That being said, I didn't think he was too over the top or anything in his performance. I thought he was wonderful. And I mean, like most of my choir teachers in school were kind of over the top by nature. So I yeah. think that actually fits the character. So I, I didn't really feel like he belonged in a different movie. I mean, everybody plays a little bit for comic relief in this film, almost all the characters. And so I, I thought that actually felt pretty natural for him, that aspect of it. Yeah, no, it worked for me more so on the second time around. I just for some for some bizarre reason, the first time I just thought he was doing a lot in his scenes with the class. Like and I couldn't really tell is he supposed to be strict and mean or is he supposed to be like kind of lovable in terms of how comedic he's coming across sometimes you know because he's very animated i it was just a little hard for me to dial in on that performance but but like i said but second time around i i fully got it and i think it works rather well here for anyone who ever had a choir teacher I feel yeah. like that performance rings so true. That mix of like very sure. loving support, but also mm -hmm. you kind of feel like if you disappoint them, you might turn up dead. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like he really <laughs> captured that. And I had an orchestra teacher in high school, so I know how the music <laughs> program works and it's very scary. And yes, you do not want to disappoint them because they will look at you if you play the wrong note and they will like death stare at you. So I kind of wish that he had a little bit more of that drama going on for him. But I also kind of have to agree with you, Matt. Like the first time I watched it, I honestly didn't really care too much for his character. Um, I don't know. I felt like I was I was just more so focused on Ruby and her family. But this time around, it was a nice added character to be there to really be supporting her in that way of her life that, you know, her parents and her brother don't fully understand or, you know, they can't immerse themselves in and we see that with the concert scene later in the film and yeah i thought it, i thought he brought like a really good balance to everything that was going on you've watched them in unforgettable adventures love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of death of a rock star and death of a sports star this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And action. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, 
Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. There's one moment where uh, he you know, tells Ruby, I have a whole life that has nothing to do with you. And it's like, I guess, yeah. mentioning that he has uh, kids and his family and th- the film never does anything with that, um, which was something that I also thought was maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity to flesh out that character just a little bit more. Because quite frankly, I was starting to think that if the character just had a little bit more meat to it um i really really thought that um that could have been uh for eugenio uh derbez maybe even a potential supporting actor play later on this year uh it's fine as is don't get me wrong and i don't think the movie needs to do that but i felt like that there was other stuff to explore there potentially i get that and with the um topics we were discussing i wouldn't put all of those critiques on the actor I put it on the screenplay because mm-hmm. in my opinion I think he is fighting with the boyfriend have, or the love interest kind of being the supporting players with Ruby because so much is dedicated to her and her family yeah and I feel like with the runtime it's given and with the story that they're trying to tell having two other supporting stories that are kind of not related to each other the teacher and the love interest take time away from each other so they're kind of playing at war with each other so they both don't get to flush out as much and they both kind of struggle because that they're both existing. So I think the film would have been stronger if they went with one way and not the other. I, I got to just uh, like mention it again. Uh, and it's funny too, because you know, like he has a name Farida Walsh Pilo, but I always call him sing street guy. Um, but <laughs> sing street guy in this movie, I just, man, I, I, <laughs> Did anyone else get like the sense that he was just like a boring seventeen-year-old boy? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I mean, you like, didn't need to be that. Uh, felt right. Have been written that way. Yeah, you know, it's like all that's fair play. I suppose. I mean, like, yeah, he can play the guitar and he sings well, but outside of that, like, no character. He's a manic pixie dream boy. Well, I mm-hmm. actually do think there he is used a little bit in that he sort of does provide a bit of contrast in that. And I didn't really notice this until my second viewing, but he does have a few comments about the fact that he comes from a family of musicians, Mm -hmm. but they're not supportive of his music because it's not the type of music that they want him to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that does contrast nicely with the fact that even though her 
parents don't really understand what Ruby's doing and they can't, they're not, you know, fully supportive in the way that she would like them to be. They are doing what they can. You know, they come to the concert, her mom buys her the dress, like they're doing their best and they are like a loving home environment. And I think that Ruby doesn't even really know that until an outsider in in the form of this boy points that out to her. Yeah, I agree with that. And then also the line about his, he has divorced parents who can't even be in the same room. Mm-hmm. And Ruby always gets so annoyed with how, you know, horny and like affectionate her parents are. And I think that really helps her kind of like recontextualize like, yeah, I should be happy. I have such, you know, loving parents who care about each other and me and kind of just like, even though they have these annoyances and irritations sometimes that bother her, that she should be really grateful for this support system. It's like what Robin Williams says in uh, Goodwill Hunting. You know, that's the good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, those little those little moments that are ones that you like hold on to, and that's what makes uh, family or any relationship that you have with somebody out there, you know, unique and special in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that message that she realizes this about her family, and I think that that is also a common thing for. Um, an unsure 17-year-old uh, to do at that age, you know, especially like to Nicole's point earlier, someone that is trying to blend in, trying to find themselves and find their identity. And granted, not everyone finds it, you know, around the age of 17, 18. Sometimes it takes them until their mid-20s, late-20s, hell, maybe even beyond that. But at the same time, that's where that process and that level of thinking uh, for where an adolescent usually, you know, begins and so I really, really do like that journey that she undergoes here in terms of pursuing her own dreams, but also being able to gain her family support in doing so. Another thing I also uh, would like to point out here is I want to point out the supporting performances from Troy Kotzer and Marley Matlin. Um, I know we touched upon it a little bit here in terms of how funny, relatable, horny they are, but also there are these dramatic moments too. I'm particularly thinking about uh, Marley and Amelia Jones uh, on the bed in her room during one scene. And then, of course, uh, Troy has this really, really touching moment uh, with Amelia Jones on the back of his uh, pickup truck in their backyard uh, that is just really, really incredibly heartwarming uh, to the point that I, I, I have questions for you if you have a dry eye after that scene. I really do. <laughs> I can't stop crying after I watched that truck scene. I oh. It was just so beautiful and so emotional. And I mean, it's just the look on his face mm. and him being able to enjoy this gift and talent that she has in a way that he hasn't been able to before that it's. I'm about to start crying again. That's how great it is. <laughs> and then how about Daniel Duran? Because uh, I thought his scene where he expresses his own frustrations as a sibling to her, and you can hear um, he's holding back tears the whole time. As he's oh, trying yeah. To, I, I thought he killed it, too. He might be my favorite sporting performance in the film. He's got a great scene, too, uh, the one in the uh, bar where he gets into the fight. Yeah. Yes. I love everything that he's doing, and I actually think that one of the most interesting things in the movie is the relationship between Ruby and her brother, in that she feels like she has to do all of this for her family, but then he has these feelings of the fact that uh, their parents rely on her, and he sort of wants a chance to do things for himself and to do things for the family. And I think that the way that he is supportive of her is 
really lovely but also like it has that push pull that I feel like real siblings often have where it's like I'm supportive of you because I want for you to achieve your dream but also because I want for our parents to recognize that I am also capable um which I think feels so real uh but I I think he gives a really great performance honestly yeah that was the one area I was gonna say like when we were talking about conflicts kind of fading away like that scene on the beach, like I did kind of want to see more after that. Cause it goes yeah. just right onto the concert. And I don't really think we see like him and Ruby ever really discuss that again. And I think that was, that's a huge moment and that's a really valid issue. And I think that the parents really get to kind of realize like the ends of their journeys, but I would have liked to see more there too. No, I completely agree with you on that. I think that really uh, outside of, sorry, Sing Street Boy. I really think that everyone is delivering uh, really, really fantastic performances here, and they all function very well as an ensemble. Uh, so much so that Amelia Jones, I mean, this is not her debut or anything like that, but this is definitely, I think, going to be her breakout role that will... Um, that we'll, we'll see her being cast, I'm sure, in a lot more projects after this because I think that she really carries this film and she's in a very, very tough position. Um, I always remember uh, Christian Bale saying about Mark Wahlberg and The Fighter that it, it, it's always a very, very tough position for uh, your actor to be, your lead actor to be in where they got to play like the more straight performance and they have all these uh, other like colorful, wacky uh, characters like kind of surrounding them and I do feel that a lot of the uh, supporting performances in this are highly expressive uh, they have tremendous dramatic moments they have great comedic moments and she has to kind of be like the center uh, of it all in a way that she is not really given that same freedom but still there's a relatability and an on-screen presence to her that just makes her so not only watchable but just a character that you really want to root for i think the film does a great job of setting up who she is what her predicament is the conflicts that she has to overcome how it how it resolves those conflicts is another conversation but i think all that setup does wonders for her. Not to mention she's also performing in a foreign dialect. She's sign she's doing ASL and she's also sim comming. So that's three separate totally different parts of her brain and languages that she's doing, which is crazy on a technical level. And she has to sing. <laughs> yeah, that too. And those she just sounds so lovely. Like I was the second time through I was like what does she remind me of? And I can like totally hear her as like a Disney princess. Like it just has that it just has that feel to it. And every song she sings, it's so wonderful. No matter if she's just on the boat or if she's at a concert, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah, that concert scene uh, towards the end, I have to, I have to tell this story really quick because I just think this is such an incredible accident that occurred. So Sundance was virtual this year. So anyone that got a chance to watch the film at Sundance saw it at home. And I have a sound bar that I watch all of my movies on. And when during the concert scene, when the movie decides it, it holds back on this technique and you would think it would use it more throughout the movie. But when it decides to go towards Ruby's parents perspective of how they're seeing the concert or hearing in this case, um, the sound just completely goes down to nothing not even anything muffled or anything like how it was presented in something like say sound of metal uh but this is like just completely down to zero so my sound bar i think thought that the movie was over so the sound bar turned off but the screen like the movie was still playing so in the movie 
when everyone starts applause, uh, applauding and everyone stands up and claps, the sound comes back. First time I watched this movie, that did not happen. And then there's dialogue scenes after that. And I'm watching the movie and there, I can't hear anything. And we're we're watching this thinking, wow, this is such a bold, creative choice. They're, they're really telling all these scenes now from their perspective. And I can't make out anything that's being said anymore. Just unbelievable that we actually fell for it and thought it was true and that it was all filmmaker intention <laughs> i eventually have got to watch it the second time knowing that that wasn't the case obviously but they were like and scene we did it guys damn my sound bar damn my sound bar it, it sparked a great discussion between my uh, roommate and i know over whether whether or not it was a great decision on the filmmaker's part uh, <laughs> but how it is used in the movie and how it, it it actually was done i actually thought was incredibly powerful during that concert sequence to the point that it almost made then the berkeley audition slightly watered down compare comparatively speaking because we just had another similar sequence to that beforehand I don't know. What, how did you guys feel about like those two sequences kind of following each other? Oh, I, I think the signing kind of separates the Berkeley audition for me, like that moment with her and her family. Because in the other one, they're just kind of watching, mm-hmm. you know, and you even see like Marley and Troy kind of struggling to like enjoy it or just like be present in that moment because they don't really know what's going on. But I think the personal aspect of the Berkeley audition, just her looking up in the stands and that that connection, that really makes that one stand out to me. Sure. Yes, totally agree with that. The choice to show the concert from their perspective, you know, I because they hadn't had done that up until the entire time, you just kind of see them staring at Ruby and counting on her to translate what people are saying. You can kind of, you know, obviously you understand, okay, they, they can't hear, they need an interpreter. But then when you actually get in that moment in a concert that's full of so much singing and so much music, then you fully realize what it's like. Um, and that, you know, that scene too, like, like I was saying, I grew up watching my dad struggle my entire life. Um, for him, it would be more muffled. And um, he was never able to go to any of my orchestra concerts just because like the sound from his hearing aid would like pick up way too much stuff going on around him. So that concert scene kind of made me I don't know, just better understand his choices for that. And so I can, I know that for them, it was probably very difficult to go to that concert and to see other people crying and laughing and clapping for their daughter, but they just don't know why they don't, they can see that, okay, she's probably good, but we don't know how good she is. And then obviously the truck scene later gives um, her dad a little bit of insight and then once she has that audition and she's signing for them, I just feel like that's just so beautiful and so pure, full of love. And it goes back to what we were talking about, how about this movie being made of love and beautiful intentions for the deaf and hard of hearing community. And I feel like that moment just kind of like puts it over the top and it's so much more emotional. And like I said, sobbing every chance I get when I watch this movie. And that's definitely one of the scenes that gets me crying the most, but I was fine with those two choices, especially since they do kind of happen fairly close to one another. I just 
couldn't have said it better myself, actually. That was that was really beautiful. Thank you. That's a good note to bring us to final thoughts, I think. So let's pass over to Will Mavity. Final thoughts on CODA? Anything that we didn't mention that you want to mention or reiterate? Yeah, I mean, the, the only other thing I would say about it in, uh, you know, it's not a film that needs to have particularly stylish filmmaking, but um, it's definitely, I think, in the technical craftsmanship, pretty workmanlike. And there's some moments for a movie that's all about music and sound. Uh, sometimes the mix isn't great. There's some moments... Uh, especially with, as you call him, Sing Street Guy, you can tell things were 80-yard. And I don't know if that's maybe he had accent slip-ups on set, but the 80-yard works pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, you know, like aesthetically, it's a pretty flat film. Although I do love a shot at the end you mentioned where they're on the pickup truck and you can see the stars behind them. I thought that was gorgeous. Yeah. But, you know, that that is something worth singling out as a film that like swept at Sundance. I would say... You know, it's a film where its strengths lie with the actors and the writing more so than all aspects of the filmmaking. But, you know, as, as a, we've all discussed here, it is a very warm film. It's a film that'll have good rewatch value. It'll make you happy. And I think it's a big step for representation. So I'm, I'm happy it exists and I'm very happy I saw it. Nicole Ackman. So obviously, I am really fond of this film. I think, as we've already said, it really does feel like a comfort movie. And I do love sometimes whenever you watch a film and it immediately, even on your first watch, feels like a comfort film. Uh, while also, you know, having like some really genuine emotion in it. I also think it's really interesting that in addition to this being the, a story about a coda, a child of deaf adults, it's also a very working class story. And I think that that's something that often in a lot of coming of age movies, um, the family is typically more solidly upper middle class or, or middle middle class. So I think it's interesting to sort of have that aspect to it as well. The one thing I will say is both times I've watched it, I'm like, why are they singing like a Marvin Gaye song in a high school choir? That is not something my high school would have would have done. I don't know about y'all. But it does feel like a like kind of a weird choice, but it, you know, it sounds good, so it's fine. But this is one that I am really excited to recommend to people. I already recommended it to my coworkers, and one of them came in today to tell me that she had watched it, and she really loved it. I think it's a really good movie to recommend to your parents, uh, for anyone who's looking for something for that. I know my parents are always asking me what's out that they should watch. And it really does feel like a, a film that a lot of different people will be able to get something out of. Okay, awesome. Heading over next to Zach. Um, anybody who follows me on social media knows this is my favorite movie of the year so far. And I just, I'm excited to watch it again already. I've seen it. This was my third watch just before this podcast. And, you know, I think it's going to be hard to top this ensemble this year for me. I think it's just so full of heart, like we've said earlier, heart and soul. I think the screenwriting is simple, but also so sincere. I think everyone is at the top of their game. I love Troy Kotzer, but I also, I'm going to be going hard for Marley Matlin. I think her scene in the bedroom always gets me. I don't know why, but it does. And I just think she's a hoot throughout too. And Amelia Jones, I've been a huge fan of ever since Lock and Key on Netflix. Go watch it if you haven't and you like genre stuff. And this is just like knocked out of the, she knocked this out of the park and i'm so excited to see where she goes next because i think she'll be our next you know female star on the rise so fingers crossed lauren lamagna 
I love this movie. I think it is really cute. And I will say that, in my opinion, with coming of age stories, we just focus on the character who is coming of age. We just focus on the teenager and what they're going through. And I really love how this film talks about how this is a very big time for the teenager, for Ruby, but it's also a transitional time for every single member in her family because, you know, your nuclear family is going through major changes. So everyone's going to feel that. So I love how each member of the family, as we said throughout the podcast, has their own scene and gets to also go through those growing pains as well because it's all growing pains. Everything is changing. And I think that's important to be aware because, yeah, even though Ruby's going somewhere, something is not what it is anymore. And we get to see parents look at their child and realize that their child is now an adult. And I think that's a beautiful thing to watch. And I think it's a beautiful thing to see. And I think both um, Troy Kutzer and Marley Matlin were great in those scenes where I think, you know, we're in the same ballpark as eighth grade and love Simon with those teenager parent scenes. And I think it's wonderful and it's comforting. And I can't wait to recommend this to peers of mine and also their parents, because I think everyone will, find something in this as well it's very comforting and it's very it is a warm hug and it is also a breath of fresh air and an exhale at the same time and emma sasek i guess just to add on to what everybody else has already said um i do really love that each member of the family has their own story to share and tell um every single person is going through something different or similar and I feel like it's all relatable at the end of the day um I love how there is a little bit of everything in this movie you have the very emotional and beautiful moments with the family you also have the very funny moments with friends listening in on her parents getting it on as Mr. Marvin Gaye once sang um and just really awkward moments like that Nicole I'm glad you brought up that no high school kid should be allowed to sing that song but right? for some reason they are forced to <laughs> dog, the dog panting too to show you to like open oh up God. your breathing that was a lot <laughs> but um yeah Really, really great film. I'm glad that the momentum from Sundance has continued with this film and it's gotten more love and praise and it definitely, definitely deserves that. And I don't think they could have assembled a better cast than this. So um, great film and hopefully the momentum continues with award season and hopefully some honors later on too. My final thoughts here are... Jock itch. Can't have sex for two weeks. I love that uh, Ruby tells them that they can't have sex ever again <laughs> at first. Uh, there's, there's a couple of moments like that where um, there are certain phrases or things that are said that get signed and uh, they have a different... They get signed differently than as they're intended. Or in some cases, uh, I know the scene where where Mr. V tells, tells him... Uh, I think he says, like, it's nice to fuck you instead of nice to meet you <laughs> at one point. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's some really good humor, I think, laced throughout this. There's like the herpes joke between Gertie and uh, uh, Ruby's brother and like, you know, little things like that, I think, that are, are nice, lighthearted and uh, pretty fun all around. All I could think about when they jumped into the lake, uh, Amelia Jones and Sing Street guy, um, was how unsanitary and cold that water must be. <laughs> 
Uh, it's just always a, a thought that I always have whenever people are jumping in their uh, nearby streams or lakes, and I'm just like, no, unsanitary. What are you doing? Same. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> also, too, I, 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 I don't know if it's just because I'm older and more uh, cynical now, but anytime I see teenage romance, I'm like, yeah, it ain't going to last. <laughs> I'm just like... Like you guys are gonna date for like kids these two days. years max. Like you get to college, you get to college, you break up in like three months. When, when, when he tells her at the audition uh, later on, like, "How'd you do?" I choked. I'm like, "Oh, they ain't gonna last together." I'm like, "She's going off to Berkeley without him." Like, <laughs> it's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh man, Troy Kotzer saying "go" at the end of the movie. Oh. oh. Just like, how many more moments could the movie just throw at me where it just wanted to completely shred my heart into a thousand pieces? I mean, like, come on now. Have some mercy. All right. Great out of ten. While I do think that the movie does wrap up some of its conflicts too easily, and it also has other interesting elements with the characters that are left unexplored, the performances are strong enough across the board, sans sing streak guy um that i am settling on a week eight out of ten it is definitely a very high recommendation though for me as it's such an easy watch um i struggle to think of any situation where i wouldn't recommend this to somebody to watch so i'm going with an eight out of ten will it's a seven which on a matt scale is probably an eight but on a will scale it's a seven because i'm weird no, 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 you're not wrong, because I was a seven, but then I cried at the end. So here we are at the eight. So it makes sense. Uh, Nicole. I am also an eight. Emma Sasek. I am also an eight, just because the positives definitely outweigh any and all negatives or downfalls of the film. Zach? I'm going to go probably nine and pretty close, like between nine and 9.5. I think some of the critiques are valid about like, the conflicts wrapping up easily, so I don't know if I can fully go full marks yet, but around there. And Lauren LaMagna? I am also an eight. All right. Let's talk about the awards potential for CODA. Coming from Apple here, still relatively new in the awards season game. Uh, They did manage to get a nomination last year for Wolf Walkers, uh, but listen, they didn't spend $25 million on this movie for nothing. So... I think having Marley Matlin out there as a spokesperson for this movie, former Oscar winner, uh, is definitely extremely helpful. At the same time, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the lack of visibility for this movie right now outside of our circles, because I really don't know anybody outside of our circles that are even aware that this movie exists. I'm kind of hoping that Apple can ramp it back up later on in the year, especially when we get to industry awards like uh sag ensemble and i i don't know can someone like tell me if there would be any kind of um do we think there would be any kind of wga issues uh considering this is uh an adaptation on a or a remake of a of a 2014 uh french film i mean it all depends on if it was done you know as a wga signatory production that's what would decide if it's ineligible or not. It, it will definitely be an adapted screenplay for awards consideration. Yeah. Like unequivocally. Yeah. But um, I, I doubt that's going to be a problem. Uh, you know, it seems like this was a pretty 
heavily American production, mm-hmm. so I would be kind of surprised if it was ineligible. Yeah, okay. All right. That's that's fair. Uh, in that regard, like, I don't expect this to land with critics in the way that, you know, I'm sure the critics will go to bat for other movies, but maybe I could see Marley Matlin being a consistency for this movie throughout the season. At the same time, though, the more I think about it, the more I feel like she has the visibility and name recognition to be in that slot. But I think she gets outshined by other people in this movie. She doesn't have the scene, I think, to like really close the deal. But I think the fact that she's campaigning and she's such a name and like she's been campaigning for like a year mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. will help her along the way. But I need to see how much Apple's going to push this because, you know, it, it hasn't necessarily exploded in terms of buzz so far. It's hard to quantify whether or not if that $25 million investment is worth it or not, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we could always listen to their stock calls <laughs> and maybe figure <laughs> out if they had Apple TV Plus subscription boosts. I, I don't know. It's like... Because I really do feel like that $25 million purchase was more of a statement from Apple to the rest of the distributors as opposed to anything to do with this movie in particular. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it almost seemed like it was like a power move. It was a show of strength. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, I would hope that they would do something with that then. It's like if you're going to, you know, put that much money forward, the biggest acquisition in film festival history, then... You better give it an awards push. <laughs> and also when you have a movie that like is such a gem and like so many people are loving it, then it's like you have to move your ass, people like come on, get out there with this. Mm-hmm. See, like that's the thing, right? Is that, you know, that genuine uh, passion, love and support in a year where we're going to have 10 nominees for Best Picture. That's where I start to then wonder, OK, Marley Mallon could be in Supporting Actress. We could be looking at an Adapted Screenplay nomination. Uh, but the picture nomination for something like this is something that I kind of look at and I say to myself, you know what? This could be one of the rare, like incredibly rare times where it gets a Best Picture nomination and nothing else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm not personally worried about this film. I'm seeing it as the minority of our season right now. It really is that little movie that could right now where I think the worst they could do is just Matlin. Because, again, when you think Coda, you think Marley Matlin. That's how good she is at campaigning. And that's how good and that's at how good she is at linking herself and her image and her brand and her picture to this film when you think the film you think her and that will get her on the ballot most of the times in my opinion so and i think if the pressure and the passion just builds up as the season continues and apple's like oh shit we actually have something it'll work out for it yeah i think marley matlin is the ace of its sleeve for sure because like you're saying She's everywhere. She's the face in the movie. She may not be the standout when you actually watch it. I think a lot of people will prefer Troy Kotzer, which maybe he can surprise too. But I do think she's its way in because, like, she presented at this year's Oscars. People, I think some people even gave her, like, a standing O. Like, she's very respected. She hasn't been back since she won. That was her only nomination, and she won on it. And I think there's this real urgency, I think, to also recognize her and kind of her whole push for more deaf representation in Hollywood. And so even if 
she may not have like the scene to like really get her in like the thick of like any winning conversation in best supporting actress. I think all these circumstances will really just give her a big boost in that conversation. I think it all depends on the rest of the strength of the category at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm also kind of of the belief though, that if she can't get in because she is lacking the scene, I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to put anyone here on the spot right now. But at the same time, we haven't made our Oscar predictions, our first of the season uh, visible yet for the MVP community. So I want to know at this time, is there anyone here that does not have Coda getting a single nomination? Okay, then. (laughs) So it seems that we all feel that it's going to show up at somewhere right now. As, as things stand, of course, a lot more has to come out. <laughs> I was just going to say that I am so hoping, I, I do see Marley Matlin getting in there. Um, I so hope that Troy Kotzer gets in there too. I mean, I think about mm-hmm. Paul Racy from, from uh, Sound of Metal getting in there last year, and that was like such a happy and delightful and it's like yes he so deserves to be in there and I just I want the same thing for him because because Troy just had so many amazing scenes in there and his like facial expressions just said it all like most of the time like you could just see every emotion on his face and just a standout performance he has the standout performance to me in my opinion yeah, if you watch the movie, I don't know how you can't be moved by him. Like, I think as long as you get this before voters' eyes, I think he's firmly in the conversation. I don't know if I'd, you know, there's some big names in there, so it's definitely, I think, a little more crowded in his case. But I think, again, if you watch it, I don't know how you just wouldn't be so moved by all those scenes he has, especially towards the end. I think right now there is, and I, and I know I keep referencing this word throughout this podcast, and I apologize, but there is a cynical part of me that is kind of looking at the playing field and saying to myself, a lot of this feels like on the bubble nominations. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna just, you know, I'm going to just list it at zero. But then I like the movie so much, and I want to see it succeed. And as someone mentioned earlier, it has that Minari quality of being that little festival film that could, that a part of me does want to ride this wave and see how far it can go. Yeah, again, it depends on how Apple pushes it. I mean, there's a lot up in the air. I think it definitely has the crowd-pleasing abilities to go a long way. It just depends on if they're willing to do the same kind of pushes that they do for like a Ted Lasso for this movie. And that also depends on like, what else are they putting out? Are they, or are they 24 going to handle most of the Macbeth stuff? Is that movie Tetris coming out? Are they going to acquire anything else at the other festivals? So, it um, there's a lot up in the air, but I think it'd be silly just to, right now before we've seen what the campaign is going to be like to be like it's done yeah no no. i don't think it's a slam dunk in anything but you know um for the time being i'm definitely gonna cautiously predict it and hope for the best i think it's got couple nominations in the tank all right well that'll do it here for our conversation about coda here on the next best picture podcast nicole ackman tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman 16 Lauren LaMagna. You can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Emma Sasek. I am on Twitter at Emma underscore Sasek and Letterboxd at Emma Sasek. Zach Gilbert. I am on Twitter at Zach B. Gilbert. And Will Mavity. 
on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And I'm at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts, and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, drop us a comment, feel free to do so. We really appreciate your feedback there and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you can get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.